Well, I'm sure you are aware of the fact that it has been a really crazy couple weeks for our country. A lot of stuff going on in the news. I was, again, I was preaching at the Chinese church last week. I was sad to not be able to be here with you and talk with you about Charlottesville. But Chris McGuffey said it really well. And so I'm just going to repeat what he said. We as a church are absolutely against racism, white supremacy, and racial superiority of any group. And we grieve over the fact that we even have to say that. If there's anything that God's people should be able to agree upon, it's that racism is satanic and has absolutely no place in the hearts or lives of God's people. I am excited that in God's sovereignty, he led us many months ago to decide upon Ephesians as our study for the fall. And if you've read Ephesians, you know that chapters 2 and 3 are all about God building one family out of all races on earth. So we are going to talk at great length about this issue when we get to Ephesians 2 and 3. This morning, we're not going to talk about it because I actually want to talk about something that seems to me to be even more pressing, a more foundational problem. If you're paying attention to the news, you know, we now live in a time of constant crisis. There's not even a minute any time during the week when there is not a breaking news bar at the bottom of every news show and every news website. There are constant crises in North Korea, Charlottesville, now Barcelona. There's always something going wrong. And if you think about it, you realize that's never going to change. Kim Jong-un is going to continue to do crazy stuff and shoot missiles. There are going to continue to be Nazis marching. And politics is going to be a mess a year from now as much as it is today. So the danger in this constant string of crises is that we can so easily be distracted from what matters most. And it's not that these current events don't matter. They do matter. And you should be informed about them and you should engage in them. But they're not the most important thing because we've got to realize there is only one hope for this world. And it's not going to be found in politics or social change, or economic change, or technology, or science, or medicine, or anything else mankind can do. The one and only hope for this world is the church of Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. That's what really is most important. That's what our nation needs to hear. That's what our world needs to hear. So we're going to talk about the one hope for this world. We're going to talk about the church. And we're going to take this morning as an opportunity to remember why the church is here. Why we as individuals and as a family exist. What is our purpose on this planet? So the the question that we're going to look at this morning, our focus. What is our purpose in life as individuals and as a church? Now, funny story, we actually have a long history here at Grace Bible Church of trying to answer that question in a way you would remember. And so we started a long time ago, 12 years ago, we started trying to answer that question and we came up with this rather long statement we called the six C's. We exist as a church and as individuals to help people go grow in communion, community, commission, content, character, and competence. Really catchy, huh? (laughs) I couldn't remember that a week after we'd written it, and I work here. That was way too complex. So a couple years later, we boiled it down to just five things. So we said, we exist to help people develop. 
Yeah, I know. Remember, guys, I was an engineer. <laughs> I make long lists. <laughs> we help people develop in character, vision, skills, relationships, and knowledge. And we arrange them around a compass with Christ-like character at the middle. And it was a really pretty graphic that no one looked at because no one could remember. And so a couple years ago, we boiled it down to just four things. We help people... <laughs> Connect, grow, serve, and multiply. That's getting better, a little bit more memorable. But I still had to look it up when I was writing this sermon. And again, I work here. You've got to realize, guys, I forget everything. I cannot remember stuff if my life depends on it. That's why for my 14th wedding anniversary a couple weeks ago, my wife finally broke down and bought me a set of electronic tags that I have put on all of my keys and my wallet so that I can find them when I invariably lose them because I forget everything. And so if I'm going to remember something, it's got to be boiled down to its essence, to the absolute simplest, clearest way to say it. And so this morning, I'm going to share with you our attempt to boil everything down about God's purpose for your life into one statement, one phrase to rule them all. This is the only thing that you have to remember. Why are you here on earth? We help people Find and follow Jesus. That's it. We help people find and follow Jesus. That is God's mission for your personal life. That is God's mission for this family as a church. We help people find and follow Jesus. Now, there are many other things that we do as followers of Jesus, like we worship. We did that a moment ago. We pray. We study the Bible. We serve. We do all those things, but you realize all of those things you will do better in heaven. And so if if you will do all of those things, like praying, talking to God, worshiping, if you're going to do all of those better in heaven, then why has God left you on this rock? This is the only reason. Your purpose for existence on this planet is to help people find and follow Jesus. That's what it's all about. And so let me take a little bit of time to explain this statement to you. What do we mean by helping people find and follow Jesus? Well, most obvious clarification first. We're not helping people try to find Jesus because Jesus is lost. He's not the one who's lost. We're the ones who are lost. That's a a clear message throughout the Bible. Just a couple verses for you, Ephesians 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked. We too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. That's true of all human beings from birth. We're born dead in sin, which means we can't resist it. We cannot help but sin. And the result is that we're children of wrath. We deserve God's wrath. All human beings do from birth on. The result of that is what Paul tells us in Romans 3.23. Most of you know this first. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The only exception to that is Jesus Christ. Every other human being who's ever lived has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So I noticed this week that our our former president, President Obama, tweeted a quote from Nelson Mandela. And within a few hours, it became the most liked tweet in the history of Twitter. So here it is. Most famous tweet ever given. Nelson Mandela said, no one is born hating another person because of the color of his skin or his background or his religion. People must learn to hate. And if they can learn to hate, they can be taught to love. For love comes more naturally to the human heart than its opposite. And I read that quote and I thought to myself, how desperately I wish that was true. But it hasn't been true since Genesis 2. 
You see, Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God, and when they chose to rebel against God, love no, matter, no longer became natural to us. Something else became natural to us. Hate, selfishness, pride, greed, racism. That is the nature of the human heart. You don't have to teach people how to be selfish. You don't have to teach people how to be prideful. That's why the things that happened in Charlottesville should grieve us but not surprise us because that's what humans do. That's why the ultimate solution to the problem of racism isn't education. Knowledge alone isn't enough because it's a heart problem. The essence of the problem with the human race is that we're sinners who love sin. We are lost. We need to be found. We need to be saved from ourselves, from our sin, our pride, our selfishness, our deceit, our greed. That's what we need. Love is not natural to us. Genuine selfless love is supernatural for us. And so we need God to do something supernatural in our lives. That's our only hope. And the good news is that Jesus came to find, seek, and save sinners like us. We're told in Luke chapter 19, For the Son of Man, Jesus, has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's us. We were lost. All humans are born lost. So Jesus came to seek and save all human beings. And, and how is he going to save all of these sinful human beings? We're told in 1 Peter 3, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. Jesus died in our place. He, he suffered for us so that our sins against God could be forgiven. All of our punishment we deserved. All of our guilt was laid upon him. He took the punishment we deserved. He died in our place. And then he rose from the dead, conquering sin, conquering guilt, conquering death once and for all, so that he could offer to you salvation and eternal life as a free gift. That's the good news that we call the gospel. Peter goes on in that chapter to tell us, by his wounds we are healed. The healing of the human race comes not by education or politics or economics, but by the wounding of Jesus. So what must we humans do to invite into our life that free salvation of Jesus? Well, all you've got to do is believe. So, most famous verse in the Bible, John three sixteen. I put it on the overhead because I hope you will see it enough to really believe it and know it well enough to tell it. So John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And there is your proof that God is not, uh, does, is not a racist, does not prefer one race over another. Because it says, whoever. I, I love the old King James. It said, whosoever. Out of every nation, every race, every economic class, everyone on earth, whoever will believe, whoever will say, yes, I believe Jesus died in my place and rose from the dead so I could have eternal life as a free gift. They are saved. Jesus is Savior to all, Republicans and Democrats, white and black, rich and poor, gay and straight, everyone on earth. He came and died for all sin to offer salvation to all on the same free terms. So salvation is by faith alone. Jesus wants to be found by all people. That's one of these great things that I just so cling to and love. Jesus is not hiding in a closet waiting for really clever people to find him. 
He wants to be found right now by every person on earth. How do I know that? Well, a little verse in 1 Timothy chapter 2 tells me that. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God wants to save everyone through Jesus. Jesus wants to be found by every person on earth and he wants to use us. To help those people find him. And so that is your reason for existing on this rock we call earth. You are here to help people find and follow Jesus. The savior who already died for them. And now wants them to find him. So that is our reason for existence. We're here to help people find and follow Jesus. So let's get practical. What exactly can you as an individual do to help people find and follow Jesus? Okay, how do, how do you personally, we're not yet talking about the church as a whole, but you in your own individual life, how do you help people find and follow Jesus? I'm going to give you four practical steps. Number one, pray. That's kind of obvious. We're at church, so you should pray. Pray for people to find and follow Jesus. The reason that we pray is not out of obligation or duty or because God says so. Ultimately, the reason we pray is because of this reality, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, that is Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For human beings to see the beauty and truth of the gospel, God must take the veil off their eyes that Satan has placed there. God has got to work. God has got to initiate in their lives to show them how beautiful and true the gospel is. And so our first and most important step is to pray for them. So we pray for people to come to know Jesus, to be interested and curious about Jesus. And, and so very practically speaking, rather than just tell you to pray for people, let me make this really concrete for you. I'm going to encourage you. You can do it now or this afternoon. I would like you to write three lists, three lists of names. And, and here's how we divide it out. You'll see this again. We're going to use this commonly. I want you to write down first the names of people who are near where you live. Who are far from Jesus. So this is family members and neighbors who don't yet know Jesus. So write those names down. Then your second list is writing down the names of people who are far from Jesus. Where you either work or study. So at at your work or in classes. Write down the names of people who don't yet know Jesus. And then your third list is where you play. So maybe a hobby or a sport or something that you do outside of where you live and where you work. Write down the names of people who don't yet know Jesus. Okay, so you've now created three lists of names. What I would challenge you to do, keep that list near where you go to bed or where you wake up in the morning and pray for each name on that list at least once a week. So you just kind of rotate through it. Okay, so you're praying for these people by name. The really cool thing is to realize you may be actually the only human being on earth praying for that person by name. So you're praying for them Each of them at least once a week. And in particular, I think the most important things to pray for is God, number one, please soften their heart so that they will recognize their need. Number two, please make them curious about Jesus. Make them actually want to know something about Jesus. And then three, God, use me. Somehow use me. Okay, so we're praying for these people by name. That's the first step. It's essential. 
Okay, so second step. Once you have been praying for these people, second step is to talk about Jesus. The gospel is a message. Ultimately, it's a story. It's not a feeling or an experience. It's a message that must be heard to be believed. And so if it must be heard, then it must first be spoken. So you got to speak the message of the gospel. That's, that's our challenge for you. Don't just pray for people who are far from Jesus, but talk to them about Jesus. And so I'm going to put something on the screen in just a moment that's really important. This is actually our goal as a church for every person in Grace Bible Church this coming year, this fall and spring. This is the goal that Jesus put on the hearts of the elders who put it on the hearts of the staff. This is it. So for every one of us, you included, this is the elders speaking to you. The goal for your life this coming year, initiate spiritual conversations with at least two people who are far from Jesus. That's what we believe Jesus is calling each and every one of us to do, myself included. I'm not exempt from this. Every one of us initiating spiritual conversations with at least two people who are far from Jesus. Now, let me explain that a bit. When we say spiritual conversations, we chose that rather than the word gospel because you may not get to talk explicitly about Jesus. You may not get to share the gospel in that conversation. That's okay. We're just asking you to get the conversation started. Begin to talk to someone who doesn't know Jesus about spiritually significant things. Get them talking about their hopes, their dreams, their fears, their concerns. Look for opportunities to talk about the hope you have in Jesus. So we're asking you to begin to initiate these spiritual conversations with people where you live, where you work, and where you play who are far from Jesus. Now that may sound really intimidating to you, so I'm going to share with you a couple stories of what this has looked like in my life or friends' lives and how easy it can be. So first story, Uh, I and a number of other pastors got to go to Orlando a number of months ago for a conference, and I and a friend were having lunch in the uh, airport there in Orlando, and we sat down, and it was really crowded, and a guy sat next to us uh, who we didn't know, total stranger. But my friend, he is always looking for opportunities to talk about Jesus. And so he notices this guy who sat next to us, who's wearing a short sleeve shirt, he had a massive tattoo on his arm. And here's the thing about when people put massive tattoos on their arms, they usually want you to notice, right? That's like the whole point. And so my friend wisely said, hey, tell me about your tattoo. I wasn't offended at that. It was the whole reason he did it. And so he started talking. And, and the great other thing about tattoos is usually people don't put like their phone bill on their arms. Usually they put things they care about on their arms, things that are meaningful to them. And so his tattoo was about his son and his hopes for his son, things that he cares about in the life of his child. And so, well, we're dads too. So we begin talking about our hopes and our concerns for our kids. And it led very naturally to talking about how we hope that they... Learn to follow Jesus, and all of a sudden, boom, open door to talk about who Jesus is. So we got to share the gospel with the guy, and it all started with a tattoo, and you could do that too, because almost everybody has tattoos these days. <laughs> so, really easy one for you. Uh, another example for you, this one actually was from this week on Facebook. I, I had the opportunity to have some discussions with people on Facebook about what was going on in Charlottesville. And that could have really quickly degraded into like an angry, heated exchange. But 
I looked at it differently. I didn't really care whether they agreed with me about Charlottesville. What, what I cared about is that I wanted people to see that and think about what was going on in Charlottesville because if they would think about it, it would start to bring out concerns and fears. And as soon as people are honest about their concerns or fears, I get to talk about Jesus because he's the only way I can deal with concerns and fears. So all of a sudden, this conversation on Facebook that could have been all about strife and anger, it turned into an opportunity to talk about what I think is the one and only solution to all of this. Yeah, man, everything's a mess. Everyone's a mess. There is only one hope. Boom, Jesus. So this can go very naturally for you. You could be done with this this week, and then I'm going to challenge you to do some more (laughs) if you are. But this could begin immediately. We believe Jesus is calling you personally to initiate spiritual conversations with at least two people who are far from Jesus. That's his goal in your life this fall. So please join with us in that mission. One piece of advice, best little concrete thing I've ever heard when it comes to having spiritual conversations with somebody. If you want to have a spiritual conversation with somebody who's far from Jesus, you know what you got to do? Be fascinated. Not be fascinating. No, it doesn't, you don't matter in this. Be fascinated with them. If you actually care about them and like ask them questions about themselves, whether it's a tattoo or a car they drive or something about their family or their job, most people aren't fascinated with anyone except themselves. And so all of a sudden you are caring about them. You are fascinated about them. Boom, they will open up to you. Just be fascinated with people and it'll open opportunities to have spiritual conversations. Okay, so we're praying, we're talking about Jesus with people. Step three, love. Love people like Jesus. Your words ultimately only have power when they are backed up by supernatural actions. Jesus tells us in the book of Matthew chapter 5, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus is saying that that your godly actions, when you follow Jesus publicly, people notice. And it draws them to Jesus. It opens their eyes to the wonder of who God is. So we need to love like Jesus. And that's going to be particularly important as we enter into a post-Christian society, which, which is where you live It's already been that way for decades in Europe. It is happening in America, and that's not going to change. So a post-Christian society, what does that mean? Well, you live around people where even the non-Christians have heard a lot about Christianity. They feel like they know all about it. They've heard about Jesus. They probably attended church a number of times as a child or throughout the middle of their life. And and even though they know a lot about it, they have said no to it. Post-Christian society. You're not going into a place where people haven't heard about Jesus. No, they have. And so if you get up and talk about Jesus, why should they listen to you? They won't until they see how you love. When you love radically, when you demonstrate to them supernatural selflessness, supernatural humility, then they see that and they say, hey, wait, what were you saying about Jesus? And so the challenge for you as you go into this community, you need to recognize, unless you're hanging out with international students, it's unlikely you're going to talk to anybody who's unfamiliar with this whole Jesus thing. You're going to talk to a lot of people who are familiar and have said, no, thank you. 
And so you do need to talk about Jesus, but you also need to find ways to love them so radically that they can't help but pay attention to what you say. Okay, so we talk about Jesus and we love like Jesus. Together, our words and our actions, together they draw people to Jesus. Okay, so pray, talk, love. Third step, train. Train people how to follow Jesus on his kind of last moment on earth in the book of Matthew. Jesus gave us his, his great commission where he sent us out. Many of you are familiar with this. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Jesus' point is that the Christian life doesn't end with faith. You believe in the gospel, boom, you're done. No, that's the beginning. You're now a member of God's family. You can never lose that. But that's the beginning of your journey. You now need to learn how to follow everything Jesus commanded. You need to learn to follow Jesus in every area of your life. We call that the process of discipleship. The disciple means a follower. That's actually what it meant in the New Testament. So you had these 12 guys we call the disciples. It just means 12 followers of Jesus. Well, a follower of Jesus is not limited to those 12 dudes. It includes all of us. We are all called to be disciples of Jesus, learning how to follow him in every step of life. And so God wants you to grow as a follower of Jesus and to help others grow. Okay, you're, you're here to pass the lessons you've learned on to younger believers so that they can learn how to better follow Jesus. And ultimately, that is why our church has historically been so committed to welcoming college students We are here in this town because it gives us an opportunity to train up the next generation of people who will reach this world for Jesus Christ. Now, adults, those of you who've lived in this town for a while, you're not a student. I'm just going to be honest with you. Um, I'm always annoyed this time of year, and I'm betting you are too, because our town has taken over. I, I, I can't park at Target anymore. It takes me twice as long to get home, and I'm not going to eat at Torchy's again until next summer. And that really bums me out. And, and so I know we feel this sense of annoyance. And, and what we need to recognize when we feel annoyed is that, you know what? All of these college students, boy, it's actually worth it. It is worth the annoyance to get to invest in the lives of 60,000 men and women for whom the cement of life is still wet. They are still deciding what they will believe, what they will value, what they will practice, what they will do. And you get to speak into that. What other church on this planet gets the opportunity to have the impact that this church does? I don't know anybody who lives in College Station because of the weather. It's it's awful. (laughs) Why are we all here? Ultimately, because of that big university. We're here because we know this is a privilege to get to invest in the lives of tens of thousands of men and women who will go from here and change the world. And so my my invitation to you, if you are an adult, if you're a parent, then the primary call of training is to your children. That comes first. But I would invite you, could you open your circle just, just a little bit more and invite a college student into your home? Get it to come over once a month or every other week and invest in the life of that college student. Begin to train that college student what it, does it look like to follow Jesus as an adult. 
If you're a college student, could you open your circle up a little bit and invite a freshman or a sophomore into it so they can learn? What does it look like to follow Jesus in college? Each and every one of us are called to train others up to follow Jesus. We're here to help people find and follow Jesus. That's the reason for our existence. Okay, so that's, that's the answer for us as individuals. Now let's talk about our church. How can Grace Bible Church, and by that we don't just mean Southwood, we mean all campuses, Anderson, Creekside, Southwood, and the Chinese Church. How can we, as a church, help people find and follow Jesus? Here's an interesting fact for you that I didn't know until this week, and I've worked here a long time. Our church began in 1965 as a result of a church split over the question of alcohol. So, that's uh, well over 40 years ago. The question was, before this, when the church was really tiny, was it acceptable to use wine in communion? Yes or no? Well, most of you have been here for a while. You know we don't use wine, so we must have been on the no side, right? <laughs> no, we, we weren't. We don't use wine because of the practicality and cost, not because we believe you can't use wine. We were on the grace side. That's why we chose this name for our church. We said, you know what? God doesn't accept us because we abstain from alcohol. We're not going to give in to that subtle form of legalism. We are accepted into God's family by grace alone. And whether or not you serve wine in communion has no bearing on your standing before God. And so we changed our name to Grace, and Grace has grown ever since. That message of Grace, that focus on the unmerited, absolutely free, unconditional grace of God, has caused our church to grow by leaps and bounds. So we started in uh, 1965, very small, few families. 1995, we moved to the Anderson campus over there, and, and it filled up with thousands really quickly. And so 2008, almost 10 years ago, we opened Southwood. We expanded to a second campus. And it filled very quickly. And so two years ago, we launched the Creekside campus as as our next attempt to to grow and move this message of grace into our community. And, And as we've done this, as God has led us this direction, what we've realized is that God's mission for us as a church, how we help people find and follow Jesus is we plant churches. That's what this church is about. We plant churches that help people find and follow Jesus. And so that's our goal, plant churches here, throughout the nation, throughout the world. Plant churches that are grace-oriented, that help people find and follow Jesus. So in particular, what does that look like? Here's kind of our vision for the next few years at Grace Bible Church. And when I say our, I really mean what Jesus has led our elders to. So, so for Grace Bible Church as a whole, step number one, we're going to build a home for Creekside. They can't meet in an elementary school forever. We are excited. We have bought land for them. It's over near the intersection of William D. Fitch and Rock Prairie Road. It's a great piece of property. We have the land. We have the architect. They are working on plans. It will take a while to get everything ready to go. But we can begin on the first step immediately. And that first step is to pay off the remainder of our debt. See, when Southwood was founded nine years ago, we needed some help financially. And so we took out a loan for three and a half million dollars. Well, God has been very faithful. We have paid well ahead of schedule so that we have only $1 million left. We need to finish that. So we need to knock that million dollars out. So we're going to challenge you, all of us, myself included. Let's give above and beyond this year to pay off. This is for us as a Southwood family. Let's pay off the remainder of our debt so that grace can move forward unencumbered. 
Okay, God has really blessed us. So we can do that. That's very reasonable. Let's pay off that $1 million remaining on our Southwood debt. Okay, so that, hopefully that Lord willing will happen really quickly. Then we'll build Creekside a home. We're excited about that. But that's not where it ends. Creekside isn't the, the end of the story of Grace Bible Church. We believe we're called to plant at least another two campuses. As we look at how the town is growing, there was an article in some newspaper this week about how College Station is the most exciting city in Texas to live in. All right, a lot of people seem to think that. So, okay, because they're all coming. <laughs> There's so many people moving into this town. It's growing like crazy. And the result is we've got large parts of the community that are not yet served. And so we need to plant more churches. And so um, we're committed to planting campuses four and five as soon as we can. We need to build that home for Creekside. And then we'll have, well, a whole trailer full of stuff that we can move over and plant another church. So we're excited about that. We're going to prepare for local campuses four. And five, next step, we're going to prepare to plant nationally and internationally. This is kind of a a new thing God has put on the the hearts of the leaders of our church. For decades, we have sent out practically countless missionaries overseas, which has been wonderful. And we want to keep doing that, but we want to do even more. We want to actually get more involved directly in planting churches. We have a lot of knowledge about how to raise up a church, a, a lot of history here. We want to help people benefit from that. So we're going to look really intentionally in the coming couple of years at doing some church plants here in America, particularly around university towns, because we know how to do that. So some places where you've got big state schools, how can we plant a church right there? And then we're also going to look internationally at, at some countries that have big universities where we can plant a church that's local to that culture next to their university and continue to do what you're seeing here. So the goal is to plant churches that are grace-oriented, focused on college students, speaking a variety of languages all around the world. So we're going to begin preparing for that in earnest. And then final step as we do all of this is we're going to much more intentionally partner. This is something we haven't been the best at in the past. Um, We're going to partner with other churches and ministries much more visibly here in Bryan College Station and around the nation. We want to plant, we want to partner with anyone really who will help us plant grace-oriented, university-focused churches. So we're really excited to do that. You'll hear a lot more about that in the coming year. What in particular can you be doing? Well, please pray. We are concerned because we've seen this pattern in history that every time God's kingdom begins to move forward, Satan attacks. It's just kind of Why not? That's what he does. So we need prayer that God would protect our church, that he would protect our elders and their families, and that he would move this vision forward. So pray for us. Um, Consider giving to this goal of paying off the $1 million that's left on the Southwood note. You can just put Southwood debt on the bottom of your check or give to that explicitly on the website. Help us pay that off. And then consider in the future that maybe God is preparing you or your family to go. Now, that might be going to Creekside or Campus 4 or Campus 5, or it might be going to another city in America with a big university and helping plant that church, or even going somewhere else on earth to plant a church. So, we've covered a lot of ground this morning as we kind of lay out the vision. The big idea again, we help people find and follow Jesus. That is why you are here. And by here, I don't mean at Grace Bible Church. I'm glad you're here this morning. I mean on earth, why you live to help people find and follow Jesus. That's the purpose of your existence. And so we're going to challenge you this fall to initiate spiritual conversations with at least two people who are far from Jesus. Help them find and follow the Savior you know already died for them. 
So that's the big idea. The most useful thing now that we can do for you, if, if you're going to if you're going to help people find and follow Jesus, if you're going to initiate these spiritual conversations, you need some people to support you. And so at the end this morning, I'm going to dismiss you into the foyer. This is what we call our Get Connected Sunday because a lot of you are new to the town or to the church. Our goal is to help you get connected to a grace group. Grace group is just, we have a lot of different grace groups here at our church. It's a smaller group of believers who you do life with, and they encourage you and train you and hold you accountable, and you do the same for them. And so as a, as a family, you can really help each other find and follow Jesus and help others find and follow Jesus. So there's four tables in the foyer. When you go out, you'll see banners above the tables. Let me just orient you to kind of what you're going to see out there. One option is what we call Bible studies. And we have men's groups. We have women's groups. We have co-ed groups. We have college groups where you gather with people and really study the word deeply. This semester, we're going to be studying the book of Hebrews. It's going to be challenging. The greatest thing, though, about this Hebrews study is all the way through, we're going to help you begin to initiate these spiritual conversations with people who are far from Jesus. So you could do Bible study. You could do home church. Home church is, well, it's like a little church in a home. Really, really easy to, to imagine what that looks like. It's, it's a grace group of people, a small group of people who gather in someone's home during the week. They meet different times, different places around town, study different things. There's all kinds of options. It's an incredible opportunity for you to gather. And college students, we'd love to have you in a home church because then you're in an adult's home. What a great opportunity to learn how to follow Jesus for the rest of your life. So Bible study, home church. Third is Sunday morning groups. If Sunday just works best for you, maybe you travel during the week. We'd love to invite you to one of our Sunday morning groups. Um, We have two in particular, Life Builders, which is for everyone, basically from cradle to grave. We'd love to have Life Builders is is a multi-generational gathering of people who come together every Sunday morning for prayer, teaching, fellowship. We also have Home Builders, which is a little more narrow. It's for parents with young kids in the home. So Home Builders, it'll equip you to be a great parent. Fourth table out there is marriage ministries. If you are engaged or newly married or you've been married for a while, but you really want to deepen your marriage, we'd love to have you sign up for one of our marriage ministries groups. And so we'll help you to to prepare for marriage or grow and improve your marriage. We're looking for leaders, too, for the Marriage Matters group. So if you'd like to lead one of those groups, drop by that table. Final thing to let you know about is that under the portico, in addition for signing up for the Big Give, which we'd love to have you do, we're promoting this awesome class called Awaken this coming fall. It's a nine-week course. We used to call it Perspectives. It's an opportunity to learn about what God has been doing on earth for all of human history and how you fit in. Really amazing. You, you will see how you fit in to God's story. And so you can sign up for that nine-week course under the portico or just get more information about it. So lots of opportunities, a lot of stuff I covered today. My hope for you, my prayer that I've been praying for the last few days, God, there's so much material. Just please let the big idea sink in. In a world of constant crises, the big idea is that you are here to help people find and follow Jesus, and that's the only thing that's going to fix anything. And so dedicate your life to that mission. Go get connected to a small group of believers who can help you do that. Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you that you have provided the solution to everything evil and broken on this planet. And that solution is your son, Jesus Christ. We praise you for Jesus. We praise you 
that he returned love for hate, that he returned grace for ridicule, that he stood for love and died in our place. We praise you for your son Jesus that he rose from the dead to to conquer Satan and sin and death and evil once and for all. We praise you for Jesus that he is king of kings and that he is coming back. And we pray for this world that is so caught up in all of these crises and so much fear and so much hate and so much anger. We pray that they would open their eyes and see the salvation that Jesus offers them. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would use us to help people find and follow Jesus. We pray that you would help us to not get caught up and distracted by all of the things going on on this earth, that we would keep our eyes steadily fixed on your son and that we would dedicate every day of our lives to helping people find and follow him. We pray that you would give us courage and boldness to initiate spiritual conversations with at least two people who are far from your son. We pray that that would be happening this week to such an extent that we're going to have to make it much more than two by the end of the semester. We know that you can do that, Father. We do know that ultimately you are the only one who can open their eyes to believe and be saved. And so we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would add to our number thousands this year who come to embrace Jesus for the first time. Pray, Heavenly Father, use us to help people find and follow your Son, for he is worthy. He is our Savior. He is our King. And in his great name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Go get connected.